G'day and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. Each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. With a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA, Matt Lovegrove is a partner with EY's People Advisory Services, focusing on talent development, deployment and retention. A former chair of APMP Australia, the Association for Professionals Winning Business through Proposals, Bids and Business Development, Matt is an expert in strategic account management. In this episode, we're going to discuss the EY Work Reimagined Employer Survey 2021, How Are Companies Redefining Work with Humans at the Centre? Welcome, Matt Lovegrove. Thank you, Nina. Great to be with you again. My pleasure. And um, well, you've, uh, EY has, has recently published the Work Reimagined Survey 2021, which was conducted in March 2021 with over 16,000 responses from 16 countries, and with the majority mainly coming from millennials. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I think it's a, it's a sign of the, the stratification of the workforce, Nina, but it was actually it was the majority, but we had a nice representation of of uh, Gen Xs like myself, even baby boomers and, and those before it. But yeah, the majority were from millennials. Very good. So uh, the, 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 the subtitle was How Are Companies Redefining Work with Humans at the Centre? So what would you say was uh, probably the, uh, the highlighted key finding out of the, out of the survey? Yeah, and just for a little bit of extra context, Nina, we, yeah. we surveyed employees and then we most recently surveyed employers because we were very keen to understand, you know, whether there was differences in um, intent, in um, ideals around work. And the overarching message was, I think, positively that it was fairly aligned. And the key message that came out of it was that um, the idea of flexible working is here to stay. Um I've been using the phrase that the genie is out of the bottle. You know, the genie is not going back in the bottle. Um, you know, people have had the ability to work flex- flexibly now, unfortunately, you know, through a terrible situation through the pandemic. But what we've seen is once people have had that uh, experience of some form of flexibility, they're saying they don't want to give that up. Or in fact, nine out of 10 employees are saying um, they want to continue to work with some form of flexibility, which is an amazingly high number. Now, we were interested then to see from an employer's perspective whether that aligned. And look, pleasingly, our, our research showed that eight out of 10 uh, employers actually agreed that flexibility would need to be an ongoing feature of work. So, so that element is nicely aligned um, in that the, for the majority, the vast majority, some form of flexibility be maintained. But Where there, there, is, there is that percentage that have decided they're going to mandate that people come back to work full time. And is is this sort of the reason for this great resignation that's on the horizon? Really, really good point. So when we asked employees, what would you do if your employer said, well, you know, it's been great that you've been able to work on the couch in your, in your tracksuit pants and your Ugg boots, but we now want you back in the office. 
um, what would you do? And that was quite a surprise to us or a significant surprise. 54%, 54% of employees said they'd be willing to resign um, and leave that organization. Now, as you said, there's there's been a lot that's been written recently about this trend, the great resignation. Uh, 4 million uh, US workers um, have been resigning month on month over the last couple of months, the highest since that stat had been recorded. Um, and we're seeing a similar trend in Australia. So, so the intention was clear. And look, you're right. That was a, that was the one area where there is a bit of a disconnect. So, 30, uh, 35, yeah, 35% of employers said, "Look, you know, it's been interesting, but we want to go back to normal." And so, yes, there is a real tension that is developing um, between employees who say, "Look." I don't want to necessarily work from home or remotely five days a week, but I want to do it two or three days a week. And as you said, there's a, there's a relatively significant amount of employers, 35%, who are saying, no, 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 we want you to come back. And if and- only 10% of people do want to work full-time in the office, that 35% have to find their new hires from that smaller pool of 10%. Yeah, exactly right. It's a bit right. silly, isn't it? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And and you know, and there's these other macroeconomic impacts as well, right? So we've got our borders at the moment are closed. So in Australia, our reliance on skilled migration has been cut off. And and I um, was hearing just listening to ABC Radio this morning, and um, you know they're talking to one business, and he said he's currently got a hundred open roles that he can't fill. Um, so yeah, your point is well made, which is. Again, I guess I want to be clear. We're not saying that everyone should move to a hybrid model. That's that's not what we're saying. Right. But um, but you have to consider the impacts of that flexibility or lack of. And so, yeah, to your point, I I think what 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 employee what employers are seeing now is that the need for flexibility is high on the list of of um, people's priorities if they're looking to move organisations. So as I've been saying to clients, you know, this represents an opportunity and a threat, right? If you're if you're not willing to entertain some form of flexibility, then that's your prerogative, but be aware that you might start to lose talent. And I guess if you're in the market for talent, um, make sure that if you've decided to offer flexibility that you're promoting it. It's amazing how many people I've spoken to have said, but we've we've offered flexible working practices for the last five years. This is not new. Uh, but I said, well, go and have a look at your people page on your public website. There's no mention of flexibility. So, you know, it is a case of making sure that people are communicating this, you know, to the market as well. Absolutely. So there, there are findings around um, the, the company office environment and, and how it supports uh, collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. So again, I, I, I think even at EY, we're a great example. You know, we, we, had a, we had mixed use in the office. We had enclosed meeting rooms that you could go and hold a meeting in or collaborate with clients. But the vast majority of our floor space, I must say, was individual working spaces. And so for us now, um, EY has taken an approach that, that is we're allowing people to make their own choices around where they work and to make choices based on client need and, and the needs of your team. So we've been we've been going through quite a transformation in our office space, Nina, where we're removing uh, a significant amount of those individual working spaces and saying, if you need to do that, do it from home, do it from the client location, do it from a cafe. And we're, we're reclaiming that space for more of those collaboration environments. And, and so we're, our view is the office needs to be that connecting point. It's not a place, and I'm, I'm using broad generalizations here, but it's not a place to sort of, you know, commute in, sit down, unpack your bag, sit at one desk, 
work away by yourself and then go home. We're saying that that doesn't really make as much sense these days. But having space for, for, client, for client work, for teams to collaborate, for learning and development, that's what we're turning the office space into. So our, our yeah. survey supported that, not just from our perspective, but a number of organizations are looking at, at um, changing the balance of, of how office space is used. And then overwhelmingly, 65% have said they're investing in new forms of technology to better enable that hybrid working environment and more collaboration. So things like Zoom or Microsoft Teams or um, improved you know, electronic whiteboards, those sorts of tools that will enable people to, when they come into the office, to have a really positive experience in working with others. So does that suggest if they do want uh, an off, uh, a desk for themselves, it'll be hot desking? Well, again, um, that's the approach that we've taken at EY, absolutely. So, you know, again, we're not saying you can't do that. There, there are reasons why some people need to do that. They might be living in a shared house. Their home environment might not be conducive to, to work. So we've got to be conscious of that. But, yes, the, the concept of hot desking, which, again, it's been in favour and out of favour and, and, and potentially back out of favour again, Nina. But, yeah, the idea of hot desking um, um, is the way that we're going. Um, and and using tools that enable you to to find people in the offices. So not only why we obviously have quite large office environments. So the idea of being able to look up and say, okay, well, I want to know when Nina is planning to come into the office and where she's planning to work. So that if I need to be um, maybe not you know in a room full time collaborating with you, but I need to be near you, you can do that. So there's some interesting there's some interesting technology that's coming to play now to create that ability to find people and to optimally plan amongst teams which location and when they might be able to come together. Right. And, of course, uh, this whole uh, online environment does mean that we can collaborate across geography and, and across time zones. So is that is that a mixed blessing? Is that both good and bad? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know the answer to that question, Lena, already. Um, yeah, look, it, it absolutely is a positive. And I think, you know, um, I've been saying, you know, from a from a, a talent acquisition perspective, looking for new people, put the tax implications aside for one second. But, you know, I was saying to someone, you know, does it really matter in some roles whether you're hiring somewhere in, in Hobart or Helsinki? You know, and for some roles and organisations, it doesn't. So so that's a, that's a big opportunity to now start to attract people um, you know, that you would never have thought about potentially employing. Or if you did, you might have in the past said, well, we'll hire you, but you need to move from Helsinki to Hobart to come and work for us. So, so that's a benefit. But look, yeah, look, where you're going, I guess, is is the issue of productivity and well-being. So um, the, the negative of some of these tools and approaches to work is that, you know, some people feel the need to extend their work hours, to be available you know, normal working hours in their own geography, but then be available for other locations to, to contact. Um, and, you know, it's, it is, um, in many cases, it is generating um, negative impacts on well-being. So absolutely, there is a need to get this balance right so that people um, can manage that. And so, again, to me, it goes, it, absolutely, that piece goes to the heart of flexible a flexibility of when you work, you know. So, you know, if today, for example, I needed to spend more time talking to my American colleagues, then I would start earlier in the morning, but I would be be very purposeful about saying, but I'm I'm going to be switching off at three o'clock my local time um, because, you know, that will be a full day. The issue is when people feel they can't do that or they're not empowered to do that or the corporate culture doesn't do that, then yes, absolutely. I think, I think there's a real, not I think, there is a real, 
risk of, of you know, burnout and negative impacts on people's well-being. And, and that, to me, again, comes down, sorry, that, that comes down to then, you know, the investment that organisations need to make in leadership and management and understanding, you know, how to make this work. And it's it's so interesting that I think when uh, when people started working from home, uh, and and even before that, employees didn't trust that people would actually work, and in fact they're working longer and harder. <laughs> then and we have to make sure they don't that they don't overwork and and suffer suffer burnout. So it's isn't that interesting? Exactly, and and it's a really good point because there are still people that that. Um, in their heart of hearts, believe that that's an issue. And yeah. I guess my view on that is that um, I, I don't believe that people change their their inherent natures um, that dramatically. So I've said to, I said to one person who was really concerned, I said, well, if you felt that person was going to be playing golf or slacking off at home, do you not think that if they're in the office, they're probably playing solitaire or on eBay <laughs> or updating Facebook? Like, you know, if you've... <laughs> If you're, you are so for, right. <laughs> if you're looking for ways not to work, you'll find it in any environment. So, yeah, you're right. And then the data does back it up, Nina. Um, you know, there's there's lots of um, tools are available. And, and in general, and again, it's often dangerous to generalise, but, yeah, the what, the data that I've seen and even our own data EY is that work weeks have expanded. Um, you know, the amount of hours people are working has expanded. So we have to make sure that we're balancing that out. And EY has been fantastic. We recently had a, a whole of firm um, unplugged day. So all of Australia and New Zealand were given a full day off of extra of extra annual leave where everyone was asked to, you know, just, just do whatever they needed to do to, to recharge and look after their well-being. So, um, you know, EY is very progressive in that space, but I, all organisations need to be thinking about those sorts of ways to, to help people get balance. I love the sound of that, an unplugged day, a digital detox day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because some, uh, some people will take a day off and, they, and that's fine, they need to. But it, there's always in the back of your mind, if everyone else is working, that there's emails piling up or the phone might ring. Whereas the, the beauty of the, the whole firm being unplugged was you know that very few people are going to be you know, emailing you or calling you. And, and interestingly as well, our clients, we, we obviously communicated that with our clients and they were overwhelmingly supportive of it and embraced it and said, what a great idea, and, and we might look to do something similar. That makes EY uh, absolute trailblazers when it comes to uh, work-life balance and uh, uh, a productive work environment. Con- congratulations. <laughs> well, it, it's it's obviously a, it's, it's all of our leadership, and, and it, is, it is a great place to work, and, and it's a, yeah, it really means that we're, we're walking the talk around this as well. Now, the study brought up a bit of a mismatch around culture, where 72% of employees believe that workplace culture has improved since the onset of the pandemic compared to 48% of employees or the respondents to the survey. So there's a bit of a mismatch there. What what can you say yeah. to that? <laughs> Look, I do find that interesting. So as you said, I mean, the, the employer response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, now, the 48% of employees might sound small, but it was actually the largest, it was the largest grouping, you know, so some said it stayed the same. It was a relatively small percentage that said it had gotten worse. So, yeah, look, I, I don't know how much we can read into that, Nina, except maybe there's a an inbuilt positive bias from the employer's perspective um, to culture. Um, and, and you and the surveys were done at different periods of time. So I think there's also that to be considered of the employee research was done at the beginning of the year and our employer research was just completed recently. So, so again, there might be a time lag. But look, I think it just comes back to your 
your your experience of culture um, and, and what's happening there. But there's no doubt that um, that remains a concern, though, for both parties. So it's not that employers are saying, no, everything's great. We don't need to worry about that. Um, maintaining culture, developing culture, um, driving creativity is one of the top five um, challenges that employers employers have said they are concerned about as we as we design and you know sort of iterate and and refine this this new flexible working environment in in my experience and and certainly even my experience when i was a poor leader a poor manager and learned to become a better manager is that I would assume on the surface that everything was fine, but unless I was doing one-on-ones with my people, they wouldn't tell me what they were really thinking. And do you think that could be the reason why employers uh, believe culture has improved? Because they're not really getting down to these intimate one-on-one conversations where people feel psychologically safe to say what they really think. I would say absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, again, and if you think, if and you look at the people that, responded to our employer survey. They were, they were quite senior people, 45% were in the C-suite, 41% were directors, and the remainders were sort of at that, that direct report to CEO. So without sounding rude, I think you're right. There's potentially an element of an echo chamber happening um, you know, amongst that group. But that is um, the point you make is a really, really good one as well, which is one of the things that um, that we recommend that, that clients um, do is, is, is actually look at the amount of time that their managers and leaders are spending one-on-one with people. Um, and so, again, there's some fantastic tools these days that enable you to, to track that because, again, completely agree. What, what, um, and so, for example, and I'm not promoting this, but we do use the Microsoft um, uh, Viva Suite, which has a whole range of analytics oh. that um, it's very – everyone thinks automatically Big Brother – um, but it's 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 anonymized. It only goes down to a work group level. But what it, what it can tell us is whether there are um, some managers that have not been spending one-on-one time with their people as much as we'd like. And all it does is look at you know the the diary entries in their calendar or the phone calls or chat messages that they've had. So again, we don't use it as a stick. We use it as a as a positive prompt. Back to your point, Nina. That might say. No. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. for example, it might be, hey, Matt, look, I know you're really busy, but we've just noticed you you haven't been connecting much with Nina lately. Um, you know, it's probably a good idea to do that. There's The other finding that I discovered is that with planning, there's a percentage of um, of companies that are planning now. Some are actioned and already, you know, ready to apply these plans. And some companies are just waiting to see what other people are doing and aren't doing any planning at all. So, What's, what's the lesson around uh, planning for post-pandemic? Yeah, look, it's a really good, it's a really good point, Nina. And I think that's the one that, um, again, really stood out um, for me is that the pace of change seems to be mismatched. So employees are saying that they, they really need to have clarity and, and be given that direction around the, you know, the intention of the organisation when it comes to how they will be working. Um, now, as you said, what we've seen is that 40% of the employer respondents said, um, they've either already actioned their plans or they're imminently about to action it. Um, 43% said they're still working through it. And to your point, 17, uh, 17% are watching and waiting. Um, now, again, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's, that should be seen as, um, as a negative. I mean, one, one of the largest groups um, that were in that watching and waiting category were industries that were actually essential or are essential services. Right. So in some ways for them, you know, life has continued fairly normally. If you're a firefighter, 
uh, a health worker. You um, have to turn up. You can't you work from home. Turn up. <laughs> it's very hard to do triage of a patient. It's not impossible, but very hard to do triage on a camera, right? Yeah. So, so I think, I think, in fairness, there there are some industries that have haven't had the option of thinking about moving to oh. to different operating modes, and so therefore the watch and wait category for them might be valid. But yeah, look, there are there are though, and I and I won't let them off the hook. There are a number of other organisations that that still haven't moved. And, and I think the, the, the threat, again, is that um, employees are, are saying, if, you, if you're not clear on what you're planning to do, I'm, I'm going to start to think about moving to an organisation that has clarity. Right. And so the, the message I guess I take out of that is for those who are either thinking or about to start action, you know, excuse the phrase, but for the love of God, please tell your people. Um, because a lot of people in our survey actually said, we've done some thinking, we've done some design work, but when we asked them whether they've communicated that to their employees, the answer was no. And so, again, there's a real risk that people, again, will assume that, that no news is actually not good news, and if I'm not hearing from my leadership and my managers around where the organisation is heading, even if it's just principles and, and guiding or guide rails, then I think there is a real risk that people will will vote with their feet, as we said earlier, and, and look to other organisations. Yes, you're absolutely right, Matt. No news is bad news when it comes to if you're working in an organisation because we, we've run our own uh, toxic uh, behaviour survey listing uh, about 11 different behaviours and the one that came top of the list was withholding of information. And so people feel like they're in the dark and they start making up their own stories and they're inferring from, from cues that they see around the place. And it's such a mistake. The employers, I suppose they think, well, our plans aren't fully formulated, so we have to wait till we've got a fully formulated plan. But then, you know, that suggests they're not taking on board the suggestions coming from their people. Spot on. And and. The extension of that is if you don't involve your people and you don't engage them, um, whether it's in the form of, you know, some sort of survey like we've done, you know, at a, at a company level, then we've also seen some people that have that have moved down paths with the best intentions, but implemented policies like um, subsidising transport, for example, or um, introducing, you know, um, catering in the, in the corporate offices, which, again, um, well-intentioned, but in our research, we, we asked a whole range of those sort of deep diving questions around what will you value most, um, both of those things actually came down pretty low on the priority list. So so you run the risk of best intentions, a lot of work done, rolling out this new approach and people saying, well, that's not really what I was after. So that that would probably, you know, quite frankly, that's probably as bad as if not worse than, you know, than not doing anything. So, yeah, the message out of this for me is engage your people. They want to be engaged. They want to... They want to work through this with the organisation. Um, and to your point, um, we're seeing organisations implement, you know, um, little proofs of concept, right? So choosing a particular division or a location or a function and saying, this is where we think we're heading. Would, would you be up to trialling this new approach? And then we'll get your feedback and we'll tweak it. We'll move forward. So there are there are ways to do it. And again, I completely agree with you. The lack of communication, um, I think, is a, is a fatal flaw. Mm. Mm. Now, um, we're sort of coming to the end of our conversation. It's always so fascinating talking with you, Matt. Uh, and this survey is just outstanding. I mean, outstanding with its uh, uh, method and, and the results. There was one risk that came up that the largest proportion, 42%, 
um, believe that developing next generation talent is the risk they are most concerned about. These are employers, right? They're most concerned about developing next generation talent. Can you tell us more about that, please? Yeah, and and again, a, a, a legitimate risk. So in in many organisations, ourselves included, we have, I guess, the apprenticeship model. You know, so you 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 come into a firm like EY. For many people, after graduating from uni, um, and you know, you you work with a range of different people, and it's an observe, do, develop type approach. Um, so one concern that people has have is that if it's a more hybrid or remote working environment, how do I create those opportunities for people to to um, to learn on the job now I think there's a couple of there's a couple of elements to unpack there these things are always complex as you as you know Nina but um, one of the one of the elements of that is that the the approach to um, to learning and development is going to change and it's already started to change and again a key insight out of the employer research was that which was really great it was almost universal agreement that the approach to learning and skills development has to change so we're seeing again a move to more virtual um, offerings around around learning um, self-paced self-directed um, is another big piece as well um, and, but not to say that the experience part is not important it really is so we're seeing employers looking for for more ways to to boost and and be mindful I guess or make conscious decisions about including people in a broader range of activities and when that the, the flip side of that is this idea of um, proximity bias, I think is the term that I've been using, you know, whereby if, if, I, if I'm not around you, if I don't see you, I might overlook you for experiential opportunities or I might overlook you for learning and development. So I think they're the two key concerns that, I, that I've heard coming back from the, the clients I've spoken to. One is how do we create a better experience and the ability to be that apprentice in this new world, and there's, a, a, again, tools that we can use, engagement methods we can use. And then the second part is how do I make sure my managers are thinking about their entire team, not just the people that are immediately in front of them. So if, I've, if I'm one of those people that prefers to go back to the office, there will be people around me that will be in the office, but I may also have a significant proportion of my team that's working remotely. So making sure that I'm not keeping on going to the same people because they're in line of sight, um, you know, for opportunities is going to be really important. Just in closing, talking about visibility and invisibility, the people that are working from home, are there some easy ways that they can make sure they make the work that they're doing more visible to their immediate manager? Yes. Look, and again, and it's interesting when you look at this across cultures as well, because there's very different different approaches to this. Um, look, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, I think, again, going back to the, the, the psychological safety piece um, and the one-on-ones with managers, um, you know, making sure that if your manager is not engaging with you, that you you take the opportunity to to do that and and to provide them with a view of what you've been working on, the output you've delivered, um, in a more um, purposeful way, I guess I'd say. So so it's almost inverting. I think is it inverting the relationship. You know, often in performance management, the manager would come prepared with you know all your statistics and what you've done, and we'll talk through it. I'm suggesting in a hybrid world, not that that would disappear completely, but the employee has to take some level of ownership, you know, to make sure that happens. Um, and then be visible um, for opportunities um, outside of work. So, again, at EY, we've, we've instituted, um, you know, we, we call it coffee roulette where people get randomly paired up with somebody else um, virtually, literally just to take a coffee break and, and have a chat and introduce yourself. Um, you know, being involved in those sort of things, um, you know, being involved in um, 
in team meetings and not sitting there with your camera off. I mean, these are very tactical things, but you know, yes, that's such a that's such a basic one, and people are not realizing the subconscious message that's sending. <laughs> exactly right. Now they're probably working really hard. They're probably listening intently. Um, but yeah, you're right. Most people think, oh, that maybe they're not there. Now again, yeah. people need time off from the camera. We 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 talk about cognitive overload, but again, yeah. in in certain environments, making sure that you're visible. Um, so I think again, my summary there. Don't mean to to waffle, Nina. I think the summary is, um, you know, employees need to. Um, be a little bit more assertive, be a little bit more confident um, in reaching out to their manager and, and and sharing what they're doing and being visible rather than it, you know, sort of waiting for that to come to them. And just before you go, can you tell me a little bit more how coffee roulette works? Sounds interesting. Yeah, sure. No, look, again, it was a, it was a great idea, relatively simple, but um, as it sounds, literally we, we, we just tipped all of our people's names into a virtual hat um, and we said, look, at least once a week or twice a week, depending on what you wanted to do, um, you would get sent the the name of uh, a fellow colleague in your geography. So we made it geography-based. Um, and you may or may not know them, but the idea is to sit, put time in your diary, make a cup of tea or coffee, and have a chat with this person, ideally not about work. Um, right. Oh, I love the sound of this. Yeah. And, and, again, it was for a number of reasons. One, to... to, to um, enable opportunities to feel connected, you know, to, to, to try to recreate the great North American saying of the water cooler, the water cooler moments, right? Um, um, but as I said, so A, to make sure that people are being connected and then B, you know, it's an opportunity to actually expand your network um, from, a, from a work perspective as well. So it's something that we've, we started off, you know, almost immediately after the pandemic hit and it's continued on, I'm glad to say. Wow. Um, and for those people who are involved in it, you know, it just, it just makes a difference to them to, to know that's coming up, to, to speak to someone they might not normally speak to. Um, and, and just have another connection outside of the, the four walls they might be working in. And it only has to be 10 or 15 minutes. Is that right? Correct. 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, 15 correct. minutes. That's fabulous. And um, it's an opportunity to network if you have, uh, the, it could even be a mentoring opportunity that comes out of that. Um, and also it can overcome the silo effect with that sort of us and them mentality. That's, that's a marvellous uh, tactic. I love it. Well, look, a very rich conversation today, Matt. I really appreciate your time. I also appreciate EY for uh, providing such a such a, a, a rich uh, study that has global implications that everybody can benefit from. So uh, congratulations to EY as well and you as one of the partners. Well done. Thanks, Nina. Look, it's always great to talk to you. We have covered a lot of ground, which has been great. Um, and the studies are available um, to anyone who wants to read them. And, and again, to your point, you know, there's some really um, interesting and, uh, and, and great thinking has gone in from our clients and our respondents as well. So appreciate your time, Nina, and it's been great to talk. Oh, yes. I meant to ask you, is there a specific web, uh, web address that they can find it? Yes. Googling. Um, yeah, no, look, why don't I, um, if it's okay, I'll, I'll send that to you and you might be able to include that. Um, I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. Great. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks, This episode, we've been speaking with Matt Lovegrove on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Uh, I, I meet people all the time who say they listen and they found it because someone told them it's a good show to listen to. And come back every week. We interview people who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Let me know that you're listening. Until next time, ciao for now.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.